From Neon Hum, this is Dirt Cheap. I'm Jeffrey Golden. And I'm Amanda Meadows. And we're reading Murder in the Glass Room by Rolf and Fuller. First names, Edwin and Lester. Oh, that's a new way of doing it. I like that. I'm trying to mix it up. We are approaching the end. It's getting close. So we are on chapter 15. There's only 17 chapters, but they're longer-ish, so we're splitting them up. The the way that we are approaching the end has not, it's making me anxious because I don't know what's going to happen. It doesn't feel like we are close to a resolution, but also feels (laughs) like we should have a resolution any minute now. Right. (laughs) Yeah, it's weird. In the last chapter... We all of Phil's nemeses sort of came together. Yes. <laughs> in one house, in some guy's house. Yeah, it was like Phil went to hell and just like all of his frenemies were there. <laughs> yeah, it was that all-star dream had come to life. For Indeed. Phil. Oh, the all-star dream. All right. So so <laughs> Phil meets meets all these bad guys. Yeah, all of his hates. favorite bad guys are are here, uh, including Willie, who yep. now hates him. Like with the heat of a million suns. Absolutely. Uh, and they're working out some kind of deal. There was a lot of meandering and weird circle talk for a while. Then eventually it came to be that maybe Professor Stanley would be willing to take like twenty five to 35000 of his money. Yeah. P- Professor Stanley basically was like, give me half of all the money that you have in the world. Mm-hmm. And Willie will give you an alibi. And Willie was like, hell no, fuck this guy, fuck all of you for even suggesting or even like suspecting that I might be down for this. (laughs) And like, he had like a little Rumpelstiltskin fit for a while and then inevitably when he was cornered for it, jumped out of a plate glass window into traffic and ran. Jumped out that window. Like a, just a feral beast. Um, (laughs) Willie. I don't know if a funnier thing has happened in the book. No, that's the funniest (laughs) thing. It's the funniest thing. Chapter 15. The farmer's market was noisy and good-smelling and crowded. I entered it from the parking space in the rear and was immediately caught up in the swirl of the shopping, the smell of the food, the racket of the children darting wildly around with their less agile parents stopping heavily after them. It was a huge place, about the area of two square city blocks, laid out like a country fair, with innumerable small and large booths that sold everything from meat and groceries to children's bubble-blowing toys. Half of L.A. was crowded into it in one big shopping spree, and only the most urgent of other commitments kept the other half of the city's population away. That was the place to be. That was a hopping place. Meet me at 3rd and Fairfax, yep. as the old saying goes. Meet me at the farmer's market. It's where everybody goes. The crowd didn't bother me, though. I knew I'd been right to choose this place. It wasn't only the matter of safety in numbers. It was outside the regulation city limits, and L.A. cops were seldom to be seen there. I wandered up and down the aisle slowly, before the showcases piled with smoked fish, with cheeses and vegetables and candies and fresh loaves of bread. 
All the time I kept looking over the heads of the people around me, anxious for a glimpse of Shelley. It was 12.50. I was in the kind of daze that makes a man do crazy things, like staring hard at a total stranger, or letting an object draw your eyes toward it and hold them, half hypnotizing you. A couple of times I caught myself staring at the putty white head of a cauliflower and imagining it was a face with eyes that kept winking at me. What is wrong with you? Just eat something. Eat he's something. dying. Phil is dying. <laughs> I think he's dying. You know how like the Muppets have like food Muppets? Mm-hmm. I'm imagining that he is seeing the food Muppets. Yes, also so seeing that. He's, and they're all like singing at him at this point. <laughs> Phil, you're going bananas. <laughs> you're going bananas, bananas today. today. <laughs> <laughs> the third time I did it, I shook my head as briskly as I could and got moving again. But I hadn't taken three more steps when I felt something heavy come down on my right foot. I couldn't suppress a groan of pain. A voice at my ear said, Sorry, sir. I looked up and saw a dark, heavyset man in a linen suit holding a wheeled shopping basket in front of him. Hope I didn't hurt you, he murmured apologetically and moved on. I wiggled my toes inside my shoe. The shoe still hurt, but outside of a slight bruise, there'd been no damage done. I walked on, turning off the last lane of booths and entering the center lane. It was then that I spotted Shelley. She was standing about 10 yards away from me, next to the magazine and newspaper stand. Her eyes were steady on my face, but there was no expression. I looked at her the same way, then turned and moved slowly away. I headed straight for the nearest sandwich stand and bought a cup of coffee. Carrying it in one hand, I made my way through the labyrinth of wooden tables just off the center lane. I put the cup down on an empty table and cleared away the mess of dirty plates that had been left by earlier eaters, swabbing the greasy tabletop with crumpled napkins. Then I sat down. <laughs> Boy, some things never change about the farmer's market. Yeah. Whenever you sit down at a table, it is always gross. It is so sticky. <laughs> I mean, they try really hard. I know they try. To, but yeah, it's the people. <laughs> no, it's people's fault. It's just people are gross and messy. Yeah. It is, I think uh, this chapter is already kind of making us nostalgic. Because <laughs> mm. we haven't been to the farmer's market in like a year. Yeah, I know. It's been a long time. <laughs> well, because you can't go during Christmas because it's insane. It's, no, you just don't. So, yeah, it's been probably has been about yeah. a year at this since, point. Yeah, when, since before the Demi. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, this is a bad pandemic, by the way. Yeah, I'm not into it. I don't it. know. This is my hot take on the pandemic. Not into it. Not into it. It's, it's a- bad. <laughs> In a few minutes, I heard the chair at my right scraping against the cemented ground. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw Shelly sitting down next to me, a coffee cup in one hand and a plate of pizza in the other. I didn't say a word. I still wasn't sure that I hadn't been followed from Los Feliz. I wanted Shelly and none of that. Our things, I said finally, looking into my coffee cup. Shelly kept her eyes on her food. Not good, Phil, she said. She didn't touch the pizza. What happened after I left you yesterday? Any trouble with the police? I spoke very quietly, in a monotone, even though I was tingling with concern. Shelly, in answering, was flat-voiced too. A little, but not much. Did they ask you any questions? Uh Uh-huh. 
Shelly looked past me, over both my shoulders, before she went on. They wanted to know what I'd been doing up there with you. I told them I didn't know what they meant, that I hadn't been up there with anybody, that I'd gone up just to see what the bowl looked like in daylight. Did they believe you? <laughs> I'll tell you, I wouldn't believe her. I mean, no. <laughs> it's like a really dumb, really dumb excuse. Yeah, I mean, she's been kind of sloppy herself, yeah. you know, because, you know, Phil's going to drag you down. Right. That's one just thing you got to remember is a constant. If you're near Phil, your stock's plummeting. Right. <laughs> so. I mean, she's a newspaper be, writer. Be a little more furtive. Yeah, absolutely. You better be prepared to be at the top of your game. Because right? Phil is at the worst of his. Um, yeah, I I feel like as, as like a newspaper person, like that might give you some excuse of like, hey, you know, I'm doing a profile on the ball. You know, I, there was a poster or something that I missed the other night when I was doing my concert review that I wanted to see or something. You know what I mean? Like, there's, there's I think she could do something. I think she, she could, could do have a finessed better. a little better. I agree. <laughs> and I just want to like, oh, I just want to like hang out the bull during the day when it's the it, when the bull is at its best. Right. <laughs> Shelly was having a bad case of jitters. Not at first, but. After a while, I think they did, especially after I told them that there had been a man nearby, somebody I didn't know. Most of them started after you. I was terrified when I heard the shots, but a few of them stayed behind. I convinced them that I had nothing to do with you. Lucky. More than lucky, Shelley said quickly. You were careless, Phil. You didn't even take the simplest precautions. You practically asked that fat man to lead the cops to the bull. What fat man? He came up with the police. He said he drove you there, picked you up in his Ford. I couldn't stand any longer the way her eyes darted around her, all over the place. Shelly, I whispered. What's the matter? She didn't answer. What's wrong? I insisted. Phil, I'm scared. In spite of everything, I was still enough of the typical underwritten movie hero to try to kid her out of it. Let's chatter our teeth together, I said. I'm afraid I didn't sound very gay. Phil is like calling himself underwritten. Yeah, I th- which... that was a that was a very funny choice. I like that a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's like very. He like winked at the camera when he said it. He's like, like when... I know I suck, yeah. <laughs> and I continue. <laughs> Shelly bit her lip. The cops? A little, yes, but but what? Something else. What? Shelly leaned very close and whispered, Phil, I'm being followed. Who? I don't know. It's just a feeling. But I'm scared. I wanted to take her in my arms right then and there and tell her not to be afraid, that everything would be all right. But I didn't believe it myself. Two men, their hands laden with food, sat down at our table. The man in the white suit who had banged into me with his basket was sitting at the table next to ours, eating a hot fudge sundae. At his side, resting against his table, was the shopping basket, filled brimful with packages. Dozens of other people were pushing their way through the narrow aisles, coffee cups and sandwich plates in their hands, looking for seats. Shelly was jabbing her fork nervously into the cratered reddish surface of her pizza, I concentrated on my coffee, sipping it slowly. 
<laughs> but I like that he concentrates on the coffee and not the sandwich. This is somebody who is literally hallucinating from not eating enough food. He got a coffee and a sandwich, and he's like, I'm going with the coffee. <laughs> I, this man is just, uh, he only, he all of his impulses are self-harm. He knows nothing else. <laughs> I, feel, I feel so bad for him. Just eat the sandwich. Eat a sandwich, Phil. Eat the sandwich. It's right there in front of you. We'll be right back. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girly? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, no, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. I concentrated on my coffee, sipping it slowly. When I looked up again, I noticed the man in the white suit was looking through his shopping basket, digging his hands down among the packages and bags, as if he were checking on his purchases. What happened at the track yesterday? One of the men at our table said. What could happen? Said the other. That El Lobo did me dirt again. I thought he was a good horse. Of course he's a good horse. For everybody else, he's a good horse. But for me, he runs like a duck. By the way, a lot of duck stuff in this book. Yeah, ducks. Yeah, runs like a duck, choke choke a duck. (laughs) Talking and thinking about ducks at this point. Ducks were important. This is a real duck tale, you might say. (laughs) (laughs) Woo woo. The white-suited man had disappeared, leaving his basket leaning against his table. We were being surrounded by the children. They leaped in and around the tables from all sides, fighting Nazis, giving Indian war whoops, turning on their treble-voiced machine guns. Every now and then, a harassed mother pounced down on one of them and dragged him yelling away. Two of the kids appropriated the shopping basket at the next table and were wheeling it around. One of them looked up with merry eyes and yelled, Watch out, I'm a General Sherman tank. So I bet out with my three kings, one of the men at our table says, and the guy raises. What did you do? Re-raised, naturally. He said, my bet. What'd you do? What could I do? I saw. So what was the upshot? The upshot? The upshot shouldn't happen to a worm. What? Don't keep me in suspense. Keep you in suspense? What about me? He lays down his cards and it's a straight. A little one? What's the difference? Of course a little one. He filled it from the inside too. It was senseless to stay there any longer. I caught Shelly's eye and moved my chair back and got up and walked away towards the back entrance. After I'd gone about 20 steps, I looked back. 
Shelly was following me. I turned off the central lane, past the smoked fish and cheese counter, and headed towards the third lane of booths. Then I turned right and made for the rear exit. At the exit, I had to wait a few moments while a line of new arrivals entered. I couldn't move past them because half of the path was blocked by a pile of huge Swiss cheeses, each weighing 50 to 100 pounds. Cheese wall. Oh, I love it. You can't penetrate the cheese wall. The, the cheese wall is unstoppable, <laughs> unscalable. Incredible. Wow. So weird. Get out your Swiss mountaineering gear. <laughs> put on your, put on the leader hose in and get your, your pickaxe your thing. Pickaxe thing. Yeah, the little, the little rope pickaxe guy and start <laughs> scaling this cheese wall, Phil. While I waited there, it happened. I'd never heard a sound as loud as that, except in the movies, in battle newsreels. It filled everything. It was sharp and gut-searing at the same time. It wasn't only something you heard with your ears, you felt it inside you. It was so much like the sound of an aerial bomb exploding that the first thing I did was look up at the sky. There were no planes in the little patch of sky that was visible, and no sound of plane motors. The only sounds now were screams of anguish from the direction of the blast and hysterical crying and shouting everywhere. The air was thick with smoke. My nostrils burned with the smell of cordite. I moved towards the center of the smoke, which was clearing away. There was little trace of the tables where Shelley and I had been sitting a few moments before. Wild. That's yeah. nuts. Boom. Boom goes the dynamite. Boom. Also, just like a like a small side thing of just like, oh, it's, I don't think about like uh, after a war that had just happened that like any time planes or net loud noises happened, you'd look up and go like, oh, are we being attacked again? Makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it does make sense. But yeah, what the fuck just happened? Yeah. The two men who had been at our table had disappeared. I don't know how many children were on the ground nearby. Somebody shouted, A bomb! A bomb! And rushed past me, his face white. Another man with a long white apron over his clothes, one of the booth keepers, ran in another direction, screaming, Police! Police! As soon as I heard that word, I moved swiftly to the back entrance again. I found Shelly still there, huddled against the stack of cheeses, her eyes wide and staring, her mouth quivering. Yeah, Shelly's trembling again. Yeah. The classic Shelly tremble. I mean, this time, I mean, she has a very good reason to tremble. Like, yeah. She was just yeah. caught, almost caught in an explosion. I, I know. This is, I feel bad for her. Go home. Go home, Shelly. She also needs to move. Yeah, move to a different place. <laughs> and then go there and don't tell anyone. Especially Phil. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's go fast, I whispered. She held onto my arm. I could feel her whole body trembling. Let's move, I repeated. We've got to get away from here, Shelly whispered. My car, where? She led me to it and got in behind the wheel. I sat down next to her and watched her try to get it started. It kept stalling. Her hands moved in jerks. She didn't seem to be able to coordinate her movements. Her lower lip was trembling, and in an effort to control herself, she kept biting it with her teeth. 
I got out of the car and got in behind the wheel myself. We head down 3rd Street, and we're about four blocks away from the farmer's market when I heard the sound of the police car and ambulance sirens. I gave it more gas, but not too much. That bomb had been for me, and Stanley was behind it. I was sure of that. Getting rid of me at the house on Los Feliz would have been too messy. It would have involved him too directly, so he'd had me trail to the market. Why would Stanley blow up Phil? Like, just, he did know, he does know his secret of, like, that he was Harley, that he was uh, a professor who got in major shit years ago. Um, is that enough to want to blow him up, you think? It's, uh, it's it feels, again, thin. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... Really? <laughs> I, th- I feel like at this point, Stanley has so much over Phil. Like, right? Why would you do something this conspicuous? Right. Exactly. Yeah. You. You were. You, I mean, it is a big risk, like setting off a bomb at the farmers market. It's like the most. That's like you're making a statement. It's like something Joker would do. Right. Exactly. Like- <laughs> Shelley was slumped over against the side of the car, crying. When I put my right hand on her shoulder to calm her, she turned violently to me and said, I knew they were after me. Her voice was weak. I turned off 3rd Street and drove slowly along one of the quiet residential avenues under spreading maple branches that formed a long green arch overhead. I drew up at a curb in front of a big, quiet, deserted-looking house, but she wasn't feeling better. She kept clenching and unclenching her hands in her lap, Instead of getting calmer, she became even more tense. That explosion, she whispered, that was meant for me. Sure, sure. At this point, she's been saying it up the whole time they've been together in this meeting that she shouldn't have even been to. Yep. And she knows it. Yeah. Which is why she's even more, like, scared and mad that she's there at this point. (laughs) And, like... Then she is validated by a devastating thing happening that she narrowly averted. Right. And he's like, yeah, whatever, toots. Let me just give you a big smelly hug and tell you that everything's fine even though it's not because I don't... Like, she's the brain of this. Yeah, I mean, unlike Phil, she is right about things in general. And I thought at this point he would maybe understand that that's the role, but he keeps trying to shove her into a damsel in distress character that he's protecting when all he's doing— And the book wants to do that, too. The book is clearly— Absolutely. —wants to put her in that role. Even though, I mean, she's like a newspaper woman, like, she's, like, making it in the world, like— but she's not like a Lois Lane. Like they want her to be like a flower that, you know, bends, you know, even though, yes, maybe she could do this work. Maybe she could do the work of a man, but she doesn't have the steel reserve. with the consequences. Right. It's, a, it's a classic, this woman knows too much. Right. And uh, no woman should ever choose this burden because <laughs> they will be basically hounded into non-existence. right back. Sure, sure, I said. With her in that condition, it was senseless to argue. 
They wanted to get me out of the way. Shelly shuddered. Who? I asked. Shelly began to tremble again. When she spoke, it was in a small, tight voice. Phil, do you remember what I told you about Stanley? I nodded. Every bit of it. Shelly looked at me for what seemed like a long time before she continued, almost in a whisper. I didn't tell you everything that time. You remember the young girl who was mixed up in it? I nodded again. The girl, Shelly said in a very low voice, was me. So now we know there was a relationship between Shelly and Professor Stanley. Professor Stanley was abusive to her specifically. She was caught in his web. He was caught in his web. You know, one thing that kind of disappoints me reading this, one of the things that was really cool with her character was that she had this whole like file on Professor Stanley and the implication was that she got it through her newspaper work. Yes, that's a great point. They robbed her of her journalistic integrity. Yeah, it's true. Isn't that sad? Like, that was... that. That's so sad. It seemed like, oh, this, this woman is fucking boss. But no, she knows all of this just because of her relationship. It all comes from this sort of devalued experience, yeah. which is being, you know, his, his side wench or something for a while. Uh, and that Although sucks. Although it was... Although it was weird, I think we remarked on it at the time that she was like, I work in a newspaper, so we have, like, drawers on everybody. Right, <laughs> and it's just like, like wait. It, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Newspapers were the NSA right. <laughs> before the NSA. They it, just... tur- it turned out she had a much more, she had a personal connection to the source, um, which almost certainly helped her investigation. Um But, yeah, so anyway. It complicates her character in the shittiest way. It makes it seem like, okay, well, she wasn't honest about that one thing, and it's because she's covering up the real reason she knows a majority of what's in her file being from a relationship with the guy. And it's just like, God. Yeah, I know. They just threw her under the bus. I heard it clearly, suddenly, hugely. And my silence must have sounded louder to Shelley than the explosion in the market. That was the one thing I left out, she said. Why? I didn't know you then, she said. It was the first time we'd ever met or been together. I couldn't take the chance of spoiling it right at the beginning. I couldn't take the chance, Phil. Don't you understand? Don't you? I didn't understand. Yeah, yeah, that sounds... Uh, what a surprise. Wow. Phil doesn't understand. It's so funny. Like, wow. It's, it's like, there's so many things here, but like... She's a victim of abuse who's trying to protect herself. Yeah. Why would she tell everything about herself to a guy who literally barged into her house he uninvited and started her yelling home. at her and accusing her of stuff? So, yeah. There's, there are so many reasons for her to not want to immediately tell him that she was the victim of abuse. Like, there's so many reasons. And, but it's really funny that Phil is just like, I didn't understand. Right. I mean, it, tell, it shows you like, yeah, of course he, of course he doesn't understand. We, we are familiar with Phil at this point. <laughs> yeah. But it's also like, 
I mean, can you imagine any man in 1945 understanding? I mean, they wouldn't even be approving of her having a job yeah. <laughs> after the war. I mean, right. you know, so it's like that alone. I mean, there's a lot on Shelly's shoulders and, uh, and like, just Phil, 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 you're just not understanding basic human shit. I was a child, Shelley said. It was bad enough at college when it happened. I thought that would be the end of it. Things had gone wrong, and, and I was ready to do my best and put them right again. But it didn't happen that way. It kept going wrong, even afterward. For years, it kept going wrong. She began to sob as she spoke. Wherever I went, it caught up with me. Every place I went, somebody was there who knew the story who brought it up like a sword over my head. And then, finally, I changed my name and drifted into newspaper work. That helped. It brought me out of myself. I began to forget my old identity. I began to feel free again. I could walk down a street without hiding, without walking close to the walls, afraid somebody would recognize me. I began to live a good, decent life for the first time. What was your real name? I asked. It doesn't matter, Shelley said. She was still crying as she spoke. It doesn't matter now. I'll tell you sometime. But I felt free for the first time in my life. I listened quietly. And then I came here. That was almost a year ago. I was at the top of my profession, as far as a woman can get in it, without pull, without connections, on her own. I had done it all myself. I was ambitious. I was going to do my own work. I had some money that I'd saved. Not too much, but enough to live well. I heard about Stanley's organization, only I didn't know he was at the head of it. Veterans United. They were promising everything but the U.S. Steel Corporation to those poor kids. I knew it couldn't be on the level. They were going after dues and assessments and contributions from wives and mothers and other relatives of the boys. I was going to collect material on Veterans United and then go on to other cities, Detroit and New York and Chicago, and get the material on them and do a book exposing the whole rotten setup. I might have done it too, except that I had to start with Los Angeles. That was my big mistake. How do we know it's a scam? I guess that's the question. It's always been very vague, and they right. haven't explained much about how the scheme works at all. And like, while these details from Shelly are helpful, yes. it's still not enough. No, definitely yeah. not. Literally, it just it's like a little diagram to just explain <laughs> like where money comes here, and right. we pretend this, and then it goes I, to Bahamas. Right. You know, it's like oh, he's building a new life for himself on an island. You know, like that's. Yeah. Done. Done. He's Just, taking that money and he's doing this with it would be so helpful right now. Exactly. Like, if we had any idea of what Professor Stanley even wants, yeah. that would also be helpful. It would be great. It sure would be good. Yeah. She was talking rapidly, pouring it out in a steady, violent flow with tears rolling down her face. The first time I visited the offices of Veterans United, I met Harley Stanley. It was the first time I had run into him in 11 years. I was scared, too scared to go on with my investigation. I dropped it immediately. I, I was badly frightened, Phil. 
I dropped it immediately. I, I even stopped thinking about it. She broke down completely. I gave her my handkerchief and crushed it against her face. Inside me, rage rose to the boiling point. I drew her close to me. Shelly, I whispered, forget it. Forget it now. It never happened, understand? Oh my God. <laughs> See, with Phil there- This is the only way people knew how to comfort each other. Yes, the They're bad just thing saying, never It didn't happened. happen, it's all gonna be okay, it never happened. Push it back, deep inside of you, <laughs> deep, oh deep, deep, and lock it in a little box. It'll never come back. God, <laughs> the repression. She leaned back against me. You poor kid, I said. You poor, crazy kid. I ought to kill him. I hadn't meant to say it out loud, but once the words were spoken, the idea became a compulsion. I knew I would do it. Shelly straightened up. She had stopped crying. I started the car and snapped on the radio. There was a second of buzzing as the instrument warmed up. Then the news broadcast came through clearly. Five dead, three of them children, and 12 injured. First reports from the scene of the tragedy indicate police believe it was a time bomb which shattered the ordinarily busy but peaceful afternoon at the farmer's market. At that moment, Shelley reached over and turned it off. Almost savagely, I turned it on again. No, I said. I want to listen. I want to know. I want to remember every detail. Also, fuck you, Shelly. Yeah. Fuck you, what you want in your moment of need, because yeah. I want to get angry. The bomb that was meant to murder you, I need to hear all about it with you <laughs> present. Right. I want to re-traumatize you for my sake to fuel me up for killing. <laughs> That's the Phil Norris wow. difference. This is so fucked up. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> fucked. Well, Amanda, we're not done with chapter 15, but we are going to stop there. What do you think of the first half of chapter 15 from Murder in the Glass Room by Edwin Rolf and Lester Fuller? <laughs> A bantam book. <laughs> A bantam book. Oh, fuck. Like this Shelly. Was this was Shelly's... Shelly's big moment. Shelly's big moment to be martyred. <laughs> like, I really feel for Shelly in this chapter. And uh, the fact that Phil has just turned into a pain bot. Like he's pain just, bot. Like, he's just absorbing people's pain and then turning it into rage. Like, unfocused, <laughs> careless rage. Uh, Phil the is, Barbarian. <laughs> This is bad. This is a bad situation. Shelly shouldn't still be in a car with him. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm so concerned. Yeah, I'm concerned too. Yeah, things are only going to get worse, it seems. Yeah, they're they're on their way to do some wild shit. I mean, he's going to, he's going to, what, drive directly to Professor Stanley and murder him or something? What's happening? Hmm. That's an interesting prediction. Well, I'll tell you that you are sort of right. Interesting. I'll tell you something else to expect. Yes. Which is, uh, Phil's gonna get his ass kicked again. Oh, fuck yeah, that's great. <laughs> so that's that's, that's what I needed to hear. He's been, like, we've gone a little while without him being beaten up 
again. Yeah. I mean, it was nice. It was kind of fun when like Edna's dad was ragging on him, but that wasn't the same. Yeah, yeah. Let's. <laughs> Let's throw him through the ringer again. That's right. Yep. Throw him through the washing machine of pain. <laughs> yeah. And uh and and speaking of pain, Phil brings Shelly home to Rosa and Carlos. Oh. And sparks fly. Interesting. The sparks, the sparks are gonna fly. Get ready for the next part Whoa. <laughs> of murder in the glass room. A dirt cheap. Dirt Cheap is a Neon Hum podcast. It's hosted by me, Jeffrey Golden. And me, Amanda Meadows. Our producer is Carla Green. Associate producer is Chloe Chobel. The executive producer is Jonathan Hirsch. Editing by Vikram Patel. Original music by Chris Katinas. Additional tracks you hear on this episode are from Epidemic Sound. Our engineer and sound effects guy is Scott Somerville. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Dirt Cheap Pod and Instagram at Dirt Cheap Books. Also, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next episode for another exciting chapter of Murder in the Glass Room. <laughs>